I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football family. And as ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiou. On this edition of the podcast, we're going to talk Kieran Tierney and the Scotland defender's future after he spoke out in a recent interview. We'll be dissecting Kieran Tierney's comments, talking about what the future holds for him and whether or not he can eventually adapt to playing the inverted left-back role whether or not he has to. We'll get into all of that. We'll talk Kieran Tierney at length. We're also going to talk Kai Havertz, who continues to divide opinion among the Arsenal fan base. I've got a little message, more like a rant, I guess, about the coverage uh, that Kai Havertz is getting and the sort of noises around the German international so early on in his Arsenal career, which I want to share with you guys. Uh, we're also going to talk Kylian Mbappe, not exactly Arsenal-related, but this is a potential move that could really impact the landscape of football. So we'll get into that as well after Kylian Mbappe was the subject of a 300 million euro bid today, which has been accepted by PSG. We'll get into all of that. And of course, uh, we'll be uh, breaking down some of your questions and of course, uh, reacting to some of your thoughts from the live comments. As always, it's the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, and we are live. <laughs> Hey, everybody. Welcome along to the show. Hope you're all good. Hope you are well. Hope you've had a good day so far. It is a miserable, cloudy old day here in North London. Um, I've had to open the blind like all the way up. Normally, I have it halfway so that the sun doesn't blind me. But it's so miserable, despite it being quite early in the day still. Uh, so miserable that it's cloudy, it's dark, and I've had to open it just to let some bloody light in. Um, yeah, terrible day. Uh, it's supposed to be summer. You wouldn't think it was the end of July, but here we are. Uh, we, we should be used to it by now. But anyway, uh, let's listen uh, to what or let's say hello, I should say, to a few of you in the chat. I can't listen to you via written comments. But um, yeah, I want to say a big shout out, first of all, uh, to our good friend Stilton Avenger in the live chat, who says, just putting the new baby to bed and cheekily got Harry on in the background. So don't make any loud noises, H. I'll try my best uh, not to. Uh, he's got a little girl. Uh, it's his first one. Uh, he wanted to call her Lenezra, which is Arsenal spelt backwards, but his missus uh, twigged onto it and wouldn't allow it. He's gone with uh, Baby Aurelia, which is a lovely name in itself. Uh, and he's listening intently uh, to the show today. Big shout out to you, mate. And good luck getting the little one to sleep. That's the thing I always find or have found the most difficult since becoming a dad, getting my kids to bloody sleep. The rest of it, you can wing it. You can figure it out, but the sleep bit for me. Nothing quite like a mother's touch. So if you've got it uh, already on lock, then uh, congratulations to you. Uh, big hello to Mafia Boss, who's with us. We've got Damien Kelly, who's very, very quick to say, let's sell Eddie and Ketia. Come on, Arsenal. Be ruthless. We'll get into that maybe in a little bit uh, more detail later on in the show. Remember, hold fire on the questions and we'll get through as many of them as we can a little bit later on in the show. Uh, Damien also says, let's not waste the show talking about Mbappe. Let's concentrate on Arsenal. Look, we're going to predominantly talk about Arsenal, of course, but that's too big a story, in my opinion, to completely ignore. So we're going to touch on it. And I'm interested to know what you guys think about it as well. Big hello to Jack. Uh, we've got Roberto joining us from Brazil. Uh, I hope you're good, my friend. Viju's here. Paul's here. Junior's here. Uh, we've got Sam. We've got Terrell. 
we've got Anthony uh, MM. Um, I'm sorry now, regulation needs to come. 300 million for one year. Talking about the Mbappe thing is mad, isn't it? Uh, we've got Irfan Chowdhury. He's got a question there, which I'll favourite and come back to a little bit later on. Zed Tom is here. Dr. Smith too. Uh, good to see lots and lots of you in the live chat as always. Remember, if you haven't done so already and you're a regular here, you know what you're going to get. So leave a like on the video, subscribe to the channel if you're brand spanking new. And without further ado, then let's start dissecting this Kieran Tierney interview. Of course, he's been linked with a move away from Arsenal pretty much all summer. Actually, this probably stretches back to last season. You know, the the talk, the talk and the conversation about what the future holds for Tierney has kind of often led people to the conclusion that he's going to leave this summer. Obviously, Alexander Zinchenko came in, took on that position at left back, and I think kept Kieran Tierney out of the side more so because he's just a better fit in terms of what Mikel Arteta wants than in being a much better defender than Kieran Tierney, for example. I think defensively, there are questions to be asked of Zinchenko, and I think Kieran Tierney has shown us over the years that he's a very, very good defender. But does he give us the same in the build-up? Is he able to play the inverted role that Mikel Arteta is obviously really, really keen on um, to the same level? Uh, clearly not. I think we all found that last season. Maybe he'll get better at it. He will continue to adapt. I don't know. Uh, but at this moment in time, if you want someone to play the inverted fullback role, then it's obvious that Zinchenko is the number one. Hence why he's been in the team when fit and Kirantini has found himself on the sidelines. A couple of points about Kirantini. So the first one for me is we talk a lot about this inverted left back role. And I just wonder sometimes if the fact that we've brought Timber in means that there will be room now um, for us to have a more conventional slash orthodox left back. Because if Tierney, play, uh, I beg your pardon, if Timber plays at right back, then you might find him inverting, meaning that Tierney can play a more traditional left back role should he get the nod or get the call up ahead of Alexander Zinchenko, who, if we're being honest, has had his fair share of injury problems. I know that's something that people always level at Kieran Tierney. When I think about the reasons that I would maybe be okay with moving Kieran Tierney on if the price was right, one of them right at the top of that list is with regards to his availability. Zinchenko is certainly not perfect in that sense. And I think we've struggled to live with the fact that he's been out at times because of how well a specific fit he is for what Mikel's looking for on that side. And maybe with Timber coming in, as I say, giving us the ability to play with the inverted fullback from the other side, you might see that benefit Kieran Tierney. The one thing I would say, though, and, and maybe the big frustration for a lot of people would be, you know, pre-season. Zinchenko not available at the moment to take part in matches due to return to training, apparently, at some point this week. Yet, he started with Kivior at left-back against the MLS All-Stars, and he started with Tommy Asu against Manchester United. I mean, what does that say about how Mikel Arteta views Kieran Tierney? And, and it might have nothing to do with Kieran Tierney's quality but clearly he feels there's something that Kirantini does not offer that he needs in a fullback. And I'm trying to put my finger on what that is. Is it height? Is it a worry or a concern about teams dropping balls over the top of us, which has been a problem for us, actually, which was a problem at the back end of last season and was a problem against Manchester United in preseason the other day. But Zinchenko isn't exactly this aerially dominant force. So that kind of kills my sort of sniffing up that particular garden path. Do you know what I mean? Or, or, or going down that road on it. Don't know why I said sniffing. <laughs> but anyway, um, 
yeah, so I, I don't really know what it is specifically that Mikel Arteta wants from a fullback that Kieran Tierney can't offer. If it's literally about the inversions, then why does Kivior get ahead of Tierney when he's got even less experience of doing that? And why does Tommy Asu get there when he's playing on his wrong side and it's even more uncomfortable? I don't know. I, I really don't know. I can't quite put my finger on it. Um, but obviously, as I mentioned, that the Kieran Tierney sort of default criticism is he's not fit and he's never injured. Uh, sorry, he's not fit and he's very often injured and therefore he cannot be relied upon. But if you look back at his record last season through injury, it was actually a lot better. So uh, we'll get into that because Kieran Tierney touches on this uh, in the interview. Um, he admitted uh, that he's still learning uh, of... Um, uh, sort of learning from those around him, learning from Zinchenko about how to play this role. He says, I've done it for the last year. Uh, I'm learning it. Alex is the prime example of how to do it. So if you're going to learn off anyone, it would be Zinchenko. I've been learning off him and asking him questions, but there are so many different ways of playing. The last few games, I haven't been do that. He said, uh, been doing that. He said, Different people uh, work in different ways. Let me just highlight this here. Uh, I prefer to do it on the pitch. Video helps for sure. And even when you're on the bench, you watch when he goes inside, when he comes out. It's all learning as it was genuinely all new to me. I'd never played in the center of the park before. It wasn't somewhere I ventured into very often before. So it makes you a better player learning. It's not for me. It's for the team and giving them the best chance to win. So no suggestion there that Kieran Tierney doesn't want to do it. And, and no suggestion that, he thinks it's for any other reason than Mikel Arteta trying to get the best out of his team, which is Kieran Tierney, in my opinion, displaying the right attitude. And he's always displayed the right attitude, despite some of his other shortcomings, despite uh, sort of issues with fitness and all the rest of it. We've always known Kieran Tierney to be a consummate professional. And I think, again, that part of the interview really, really sums it up. I'm glad he highlighted the point that he was learning because I think even though we should think that automatically as fans and fans should take these things into consideration. It's really easy to, to, to sort of overlook factors like that, you know, factors like we're asking a professional footballer to do a role that is very, very different to that, that he was brought up playing. People will say, well, they're professional footballers. They should be able to adapt. Agreed. But if you bring in a plumber to your house and your electrics go wrong, and you ask him to fix the electrics while he's there and he makes a mistake in trying to sort of figure it out. Are you going to have a go? No, more for you. You should have booked an electrician to come and fix your electrical fault rather than a plumber. That's the point I'm trying to make. Like you can be a professional in your field without being an expert at every single specific area. And Kieran Tierney is an expert at playing, I believe, the orthodox, more traditional fullback role. But having seen Arsenal make that change tactically, he has been left behind a little bit and he needs time now to to work it all out a year you'd say is about right it's enough uh time at this level now he needs to start delivering when asked to play that role but i just wonder as i said if the fact that urian timber has come in and maybe that's with a view to him playing that inverted role from the other side kieran Tini might not need to any longer focus on that side of the left back position every single time he gets the nod, which would help him in turn. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, big hello to Manuel. Uh, thank you so, so much, my friend, for your very, very kind uh, donation to the channel. Uh, he says, uh, hello from Mexico City. It's been a while. 
since I caught you live. Um, thank you for your great job. Thank you so much, mate, uh, for tuning in and your support of the channel. It really, really uh, does mean the world to me. Um, uh, Arteta has been keen, uh, according to this, uh, to sort of explain his decisions to Tierney throughout. Uh, but the former Celtic man could be forgiven for letting his frustrations show, writes Kaya Kainak. Uh, but he does go on to say that his approach remains refreshingly professional as he seeks to contribute to Arsenal's pursuit of success wherever possible. This is what Kieran Tierney went on to say. He said, I never missed one game with injury last year. I was available every game and ready when called upon. That's football. You can't play every single game, every single season, every single year. I don't expect that. And I still made a lot of appearances last year. I was ready every game and working 100%. I think everyone in there would agree with that. I never give less than that, whether I'm playing or not. In the games I did play, I tried to do my best for the team. I came off the bench a lot last season, whether that was to see games out or help get a goal. Um he also went on to talk a little bit about Declan Rice, uh, talked about Declan Rice uh, singing Rice, Rice Baby uh, in his kind of uh, initiation thing. Um, he said that Declan said the other day that he feels like he's been here for so long. Talked about it being a close group, great teammates, great staff. Uh, so I think uh, we're love he's loving it. So that's good um, to know that he's, of course, um, settling in well. I know that kind of digresses a little bit from the Kieran Tini discussion, but I'm just kind of reading through the interview. Um, he was then asked about his future as he would be, you know, because as I say, there's been lots of speculation, Newcastle, a club that have been heavily linked with Kieran over the past year or so, but a club who are yet to turn that rumored interest into anything concrete in the sense of making a formal offer, making a bid or anything like that. They've kept their distance. I wonder if Arsenal's reported asking price has put them off. Maybe that is the case. Maybe there are concerns about the fact that Kieran Tierney has found himself out in the cold at Arsenal. Maybe there are concerns about the fitness issues he's experienced throughout the majority of his career. Obviously not in the last season so much, but prior to that, he was a player that was frequently unavailable and that can put clubs off as well. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know why that interest is called. I think that Kieran Tierney would walk in to most Premier League sides as a left back as long as he can stay fit because he's good enough. Uh, but as I keep saying, where tactically we've evolved a little bit, he's just been left behind. Anyway, he is keen to focus on the here and now. And with regards to his future, he said, it's not really up to me. I'm happy. I'm working hard every day and getting minutes. I'm trying to do as well as I can. Um, so Kieran Tini, not not sort of wanting to give up his Arsenal career, not wanting to kind of you know, give any indication that his, his head is not here anymore. He is an Arsenal player for the time being. He stays at the club. He's going to work hard. He's going to fight for his place and fingers crossed, um, you know, he can continue to contribute to the team in a positive way. And I think a lot of players know as well that rotation is very much on the agenda at Arsenal going into the new season where that probably wasn't really the case so much last time out. If you were a fringe player, you were going to be called upon from the bench and you were going to be asked to participate in Europa League group stage games, Carabao Cup games, for example, maybe in the FA Cup too. Whereas now, I think when people look at the workload this Arsenal side are going to have, the return of Champions League football, a long time in the making, but uh, you know, a need now to play your best or a really strong 11 twice a week, most weeks. 
obviously increases the workload. Europa League, you could rotate, which we've discussed before. Now you you need to have capable deputies and you need players that are going to come in, bear the same level of responsibility and hopefully help you progress in that competition. Plus, I think for Arsenal to be classed as dining at the top table again, they need to give it more of a go across the multiple competitions. You know, last season, it was this pursuit of the Premier League crown, a pursuit that nobody expected us to be in. But ultimately, in the end, we had to sacrifice other things. And I think for Arsenal, as I keep saying, to be classed as dining right back at the top table again, they're going to need to compete on multiple fronts. And again, that requires a squad. And again, that requires effective rotation. And it's going to mean players coming in and out of the team. And Kieran Tierney is one of those players that you can see uh, being sort of heavily involved in that rotation. And, uh, and so there are plenty of minutes still up for grabs for the Scotland international. But yeah, Kieran Tierney remained incredibly professional. His comments, I thought, did really, really well in the way he spoke. And um, looking forward to him seeing, uh, what, what, looking forward to seeing him fight for his place is what I was trying to say there. Um, and, uh, and making a good crack of it. Okay, um, just wanted to touch a little bit on all the Kai Havertz chat over the last couple of days. It's a, it's a slow news day today. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to deny that. There isn't anything major to discuss. Kieran Tini's interview being just about the highlight of the day from an Arsenal news perspective. But I, I wanted to take this opportunity to talk a little bit about Kai Havertz because I've been saying that I don't see him as a midfielder. I've been saying that I'm a little bit concerned about what his role is. And I've been saying that for me, if I'm to name Arsenal's best midfield today, he doesn't make it. He's not in it. And that has sparked, particularly on my social media accounts, a lot of back and forth between myself and other Arsenal fans. You've got two completely ends of the spe- different ends of the spectrum here. So you've got one side that will be like, oh my God, he's crap. He's useless. Why did we sign him? Why have we spent £65 million on him? Waste of money, blah, 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 blah. And then you've got the other side who kind of came at me with, you are out of order. How can you write Kai Havertz off at this stage? He's only just joined the club. And the truth is I'm not doing any of those things. I'm not doing either of those things. So first and foremost, I just want to say, and, and as I've said throughout um, this summer, and you've got to remember as well, I said that I'd like Kai Havertz to come to Arsenal before we were even linked with him, before we were even reported to be in talks with Chelsea. You'll remember me saying on this podcast, if you're a regular listener, he is somebody that if available, I will take a gamble on this summer. But that wasn't with a view to him playing in midfield, admittedly. But so to now suggest that I think this was a terrible signing and a bad signing and a waste of time and all the rest of it is is madness. That's not my view at all. I think that Kai Havertz is a great addition to the squad, but in Arsenal's best midfield three for me, he has no place. Um, And that's because of balance, not because of his talent, because I think you need to have the right balance in midfield. I think it was one of the things we got so right last season when everybody was fit and it contributed massively to us progressing in the way and at the rate that we did. So I guess for me, I just wanted to say like, Give this guy a chance. Don't write him off, okay? He's an incredibly talented player, really, really talented footballer. And I believe 100% that he will have a positive impact on Arsenal this season. But for me, I think it's too risky to line up with a midfield comprising of Rice at the base, Odegaard and Havertz. I think there will be certain game states, i.e. 
your nil-nil at home to a bottom half of the table side. You desperately want the three points. How do you go about uh, changing things, tweaking things, throw Kai Havertz on, sacrifice a little bit of that balance in your midfield to give you superiority in an attacking area? You bring on a player that has got that ability to score and contribute to goals um, and who poses a greater attacking threat. That's absolutely fine. No problem. Um, you know, no problem at all. That's what I want Kai Havertz to be. Um, someone that can be used in that position, but also somebody that can support our forward line. There's no reason why, God forbid, if the worst happened and Bukayo Saka got injured. We keep talking about the fact that we don't have a standout option from the right wing to come in. There's no reason why Gabriel Jesus couldn't go out there. A player that's played right wing for Manchester City to a really, really high level that has played that role multiple times for Brazil as well. There's no reason why he couldn't go out there and Kai Havertz couldn't move into the centre-forward position. There's no reason why Kai Havertz couldn't play from the right where he's played before and cutting onto that left foot of his. He's got that versatility that means he can cover the entire front line and he can play in a more advanced midfield position at the right times, in the right game states, all the rest of it. But in terms of our go-to best starting eleven, I don't think that Havertz makes the midfield. That doesn't mean I don't want him. I, I wanted him probably more than most. Um, and, and I've actually been surprised by sort of the reaction to that comment that I made uh, on social media. I know you should never gauge these things from Twitter in particular, because let's be honest, it's a shithole. But the point I'm trying to make here is that I think there are way too many Arsenal fans out there that are wanting to turn every little debate or every little conversation about Kai Havertz into this sort of hammering of the player. And that's not what people are doing. People are just simply, I think, still trying to figure out where best he fits in. Ultimately, what matters is where Mikel Arteta thinks he fits in. But I think that there is a debate to be had about that. And, and I think it's a fair debate. And I don't think it should be taken as speaking negatively of the club and of the player or, um, or people should take the stance of just blindly defending him. What I do think is that, you know, particularly the way these opinions are voiced can have an, an impact on a player that has just joined a new football club. Um, you know, Kai Havertz does listen to the noise. You know, his tweet following the game uh, against the, uh, or following the MLS skill challenge, um, probably, you know, probably highlights that more than anything. So in terms of the fact that he does get, um, you know, he does get heat and he, and he feels it and, you know, he wanted to respond to it. So I just think we need to be supportive of him as a player. As a fan base, I think that's our duty um, until maybe there comes a time where we don't think he's the right fit for Arsenal or, or not um, been an effective signing. But it's impossible to judge that based on a couple of preseason games is the point I'm trying to make. So let's get off of his back a little bit uh, and let's support the guy. Um, yeah, so uh, that's where I am on that. Okay, uh, let's go over to the live chat and uh, let's see what you guys are saying. Uh, Viper says, um, we need to give Kai time. It's not like Jesus and Zinni that had already learned how we played before they became Arsenal players. Um, you know, it's also not impossible for him to become an effective midfielder. Look at what Joe Linton did at Newcastle. Agreed, um, agreed. But that was in a midfield that had a slightly different balance to it, I think. And that's the point I keep making. It's not necessarily about Kai Havertz's ability, qualities or lack of. It's, it's nothing to do with that, really. For me, people kept looking at Arsenal last season and saying, Arsenal play with a six and two eights. Arsenal play with 
Partey is the six, Xhaka and Odegaard as eight. I don't, I don't see it like that. It wasn't that black and white. Martin Odegaard had greater license to go forward and had a greater license to roam into areas where he could lead the press. Granite Xhaka was the one of the midfield that had kind of split responsibilities in that he was allowed to go forward. He was instructed to go forward and support and become a part of that front five at times. But he also was always very mindful of what was being left behind him, particularly with Zinchenko taking up different positions. Sometimes that would lead to Xhaka moving out wider outside of him. You'd see that often. Xhaka being outside of the fullback. There were times where Xhaka would drop back into the defence to help Thomas Partey because the pair of them would have to accommodate for Gabriel going out to where the left-back should be in the event there was a quick turnover and a long ball out to the opposition's right-hand side as Zinchenko had ventured into midfield. So there is, there is, there was a balance to that midfield with Granit Xhaka in there. And it, the, the reason there was a balance was because Thomas Partey was the six. Odegaard was kind of half an eight, half a 10, but more so a 10. And Xhaka was sort of half a box-to-box, half an attacking midfielder, but more so box-to-box. -box. Do you see what I mean? There was that balance there that gave us that almost perfect cocktail and perfect uh, sort of, I don't know what the word is, recipe for success in that area of the park. And and I just think that when you replace a player like Granite Xhaka with Kai Havertz, you don't get the same thing. So if I'm saying the balance was right then, it can't be right with Kai Havertz in there unless you accommodate for that by making tweaks in other areas. And I don't know that we're going to do that either. So for me, there is a lot to be figured out here. Um, if you put Rice in where Xhaka was, then I think there's less of an adaptation period because you've got a player who, much like Granite Xhaka, started out as a defensive midfielder, probably is just about still that, but has an ability to get forward, has an ability to get up and down the pitch, impact the game in the attacking third, but also has that defensive mindset when needed to be able to plug holes and, and fix issues for us and help us, uh, particularly against transition. So I just think Rice is a much more natural fit to go into that role. And so that's why my midfield three, as I've discussed on numerous occasions over the last few days, if everybody's fit and given the players that we currently have available at the club, that's why mine comprises of Partey, Rice and Odegaard at this moment in time. Uh, big thank you, by the way, to Viper for your very, very kind Super Chat donation as well, my friend. Thank you. Uh, very much. It is really, really appreciated. Okay. Um, what have we got in the chat? Let's go through the chat box a little bit. Um, we're going to talk Kylian Mbappe in just a minute as well, because I think that's such a big story that we, we do have to touch on it uh, at least for a few minutes. And then we're going to take some of your questions. But before we do that, we're going to take a very, very brief pause. Be back in just a moment. caught me there uh drinking water uh right let's um let's do the uh the chat box bit first and then we'll we'll do a little bit killian mbappe as well because that story is is mad isn't it um louis robson says um if it doesn't work out going back to the habits thing like i said in my tweet then we have, as fans have the right to blame arteta and edu for taking a huge gamble when no one else has a clue where he fits in the team Let's see what he does next season and then judge. Yeah, like if we get to the end of, of next season and people don't think the Kai Havertz signing works, 
or worked and they take to social media and say this was a waste of money and this was this and this was that you will not see me defending it you know if if that's how it panned out if it really was a flop you will hear me here on the chronicles of aguna talking about why i think it went wrong and um and why arsenal were were found to have made a mistake in sort of moving forward with a transfer of such high value for a player that as you say there were question marks around where his best position is no problem that doesn't bother me that doesn't concern me what concerns me is people's willingness to want to write the guy off before the season's even started like we're supporters by definition that means that you support now you might not always agree with everything i don't always agree with everything but i'm certainly certainly not going to go into a season having a go or, or being criticized uh, or being critical i beg your pardon of kai havertz before he's even had an opportunity to prove that arsenal were right to spend that money in him and that's all i'm saying here is give the guy a chance give him your backing give him your support he is an arsenal player and we'll see where it takes us uh, just going back to the Kieran Tierney stuff, uh, Anthony says, keep Tierney for another season before deciding his future. We need alternatives before Arteta decides uh, what's best with the new signings. We need rotational options, and Kieran Tierney is certainly uh, one of those. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, lots of you agreeing with the whole keeping um, Kieran Tierney thing. Uh, which doesn't surprise me. Brad does say, though, uh, with regards to Kai Havertz, to be fair to Kai, he needs time to reset into a midfielder. That is one of the key points. That is bang on the nose from Brad there because, as I said, you know, this is a player that has played as a centre forward, has played as a right forward, has played as a sort of 10 type. But if he is going to come into that midfield, he's going to be required to do some more defensive work, which doesn't come naturally to Kai Havertz. And when I say defensive work, I don't just mean closing people down, things that can be attributed to effort. That's not what this is about. You know, this is this is about developing the right instincts. Uh, you know, I played football to a good level, okay? Not professional, but I played um, at a professional club as a youngster. And I always played as a centre forward. From time to time, I play as a wide forward. Um, I could run back then as a right winger, as a left winger. I was right footed, so sometimes I used to play from the left. And when I moved from the team that I was playing Sunday league with to playing um, sort of at a higher level, they changed my position. They asked me to play as part of a midfield three rather than a front three. And that was okay in my mind because I had the ability to control the ball under pressure. I was able to see a pass. Having played as a forward, I kind of felt that I was good at anticipating what people's runs might look like and playing balls in as a result of that. I worked my absolute bees off, right? But the one thing I lacked, because I wasn't used to it, because it wasn't in my makeup and it wasn't an instinct I'd developed, was there would be times where I'd be so obsessed with what was going on the ball that I would miss or be too late to react to runners from the opposition's midfield going past me. And I'd be too slow to clock. That's what they were doing. And then turn around and get back, not physically too slow, but it took me too long to recognize that I was putting my side in danger. And that's not because of a lack of effort. It's because I couldn't change that mindset overnight. 
I couldn't go from only focusing on attacking play to having to split my concentration between what's going on on the ball and what's going on off the ball. When I was playing as a forward, I was constantly looking at the ball until I had it. And then I was focused on other things. But I had no defensive responsibility. The centre-halves weren't going to make galloping runs into the opposition half. The point I'm trying to make here is here, and it's not that I'm, you know, a professional footballer or anything like that, but I've been through that experience at a very good level of football with regards to trying to change your mindset. It does not happen overnight. And we have to be mindful of that when uh, discussing uh, Kai Havertz and the adaptation from uh, sort of being a forward to now what we think is going to be some sort of central midfield player in Mikel Arteta's system. Right. If you haven't done it already, I see a few of you in the chat are helping me out with this. Love it. Thanks very much, guys. Uh, please do leave a like on the video. There's no reason why we shouldn't have at least 150 likes on the board by now. What are we waiting for? Come on, uh, let's do it. Uh, big shout out to Danny from the Burkamp Wonderland podcast. Uh, who's uh, basically telling you guys to get on with it, leave a like on the video. Um, he says, uh, come on, Gunas, show Harry some support. Danny, thank you so, so much, mate. And make sure uh, you check out uh, the, uh, of course, uh, Burkamp Wonderland podcast, which Danny uh, hosts and does a brilliant, brilliant job of. It's great Arsenal content, very regular stuff as well, uh, which is fantastic. So make sure you check it out. I'm sure Danny can drop the link in the description, not in the description, but in the chat box. Uh, for you guys to click on to. Uh, right, let's see what else we've got. Um, the DJ Suite says, uh, Harry, my bro, that's why I only listen to you uh, as most have never played except career mode. And you can tell by the madness they post online. Habits will be fine. Arteta is no mug. Yeah, I mean, I'm not like, I'm not saying that my experiences would always translate the same into the professional game. Like, I, I'm not trying to be big-headed or or arrogant in saying that i just that was a problem that i really really struggled with i like really struggled with and i actually think that a lot of the reason why i maybe struggled a bit more than i would have liked at that level of football was because i was playing outside of my comfort zone and i i remember sort of uh getting an opportunity in a game because there was an injury to play back in the front line, which is where I wanted to play. And I just remember sort of feeling like the shackles had come off because now I could play my game and not worry so much about what everybody else was doing all the time and not worrying so much about, uh, you know, runners going in behind me or the distance between me and my centre-half or the distance between me and my right midfielder and all the rest of it. I loved being on the ball loads in the middle of the park, but yeah, it, it meant going against my instincts, which makes me then feel sympathy towards footballers that are trying to or that are being asked to almost reset in their minds with regards to the responsibilities that their um sort of position requires so yeah tough stuff but anyway um that's that on the whole Kai Havertz thing and of course uh, we'll come back to the chat box a little bit later on but first let's talk Kylian Mbappe the subject of a 300 million euro bid the game's gone <laughs> So unless you've been living under a rock uh, for the last uh, sort of uh, eight, nine hours, or you've been sleeping, which is a valid excuse, uh, then you would have uh, known that, of course, Kylian Mbappe could be or is being talked about as potentially one of the next players to head off to join the Saudi Pro League. Now, everybody knows what's going on. Kylian Mbappe is in a standoff with PSG right now. 
Okay, he doesn't want to leave the club right now, or he says he doesn't want to leave. He says he wants to honor his contract. He says that he wants to remain at Real Madrid until his contract is up. He's on crazy, 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 crazy money uh, at Paris Saint-Germain. He's the director of football in some people's eyes as well, uh, the, or the president. You know, you can go that far uh, with Kylian Mbappe and the power that he has at PSG or that's been given to him by PSG. PSG are very adamant that they do not want to lose Kylian Mbappe on a free transfer at the end of next season, at the end of the season coming up. They want to sell him. They've put him up for sale. But, but, you know, <laughs> Kylian Mbappe and whoever's going to come in and buy him all have to play ball here. You know, PSG can say that they've put him up for sale, but it doesn't really mean anything unless... Um, Somebody comes in with an offer. There has been an offer, but not from Real Madrid, who many people thought would maybe just make a few adjustments, a few tweaks behind the scenes in order to just accelerate this thing, get it done uh, this summer. I always thought that Real Madrid would probably wait until the back end of the window because they'd want to put PSG in a position where they're desperate. So PSG want to sell. They want to make a bit of cash. They, they want to get something in so that they're not losing Kylian Mbappe for free. But you know, the longer the window goes on, the less chance they have of acquiring or or, or recouping the, the level of money that they want uh, and that they feel is is fair for the player. So if you're Real Madrid, you sit tight, you wait till the end of the window, and then you make an offer of 60, 70 million euros. And the likelihood is that PSG would will at least consider that because they'll know that their window in terms of getting some money in for Kylian Mbappe is closing really, really fast. Kylian Mbappe has forever been linked with Real Madrid. I think he's destined to go to Real Madrid at some point. But is he going to go to Saudi Arabia first? And that this is the big thing. If PSG are going to stick to their stance of you're going to be frozen out unless you move on, then that means he'll play next season or he won't play next season. And he'll be watching from the bench is what I should have said there. He'll be frozen. Out. He's not been a part of their preseason stuff because they are trying to send a clear message. What happens if a deal doesn't go through? Are PSG going to backtrack and put Kylian Mbappe back in the side? So he'd be wasting a year anyway. Now, people say that him going to Saudi would be wasting a year as well. But he'd be playing football and he'd be earning an absolute ton of money. A ton of money. He's understood that the Saudi club, uh, which I think is Al-Hilal, are willing to pay this money and then allow Kylian Mbappe to move on after a season if he wishes to do so. Because they know that this would be a watershed moment in their strategy and in their quest to turn uh, themselves into a real powerful force with regards to their league and, you know, really kind of build up the Saudi Pro League brand, if you like. This is a huge opportunity for them. And we know that money's not an object. We know that money's not an issue. We know that they can afford it. We know that they'd be happy to essentially pour that money down the drain if it meant that Kylian Mbappe would come in. Even if it meant paying him just for one year, paying that crazy money to get him in just for one year, they would see it as being well worthwhile. Mbappe's been linked with a number of clubs now, but very few can meet the kind of price that the Saudis uh, oh, sorry, that PSG are looking for, which means that the Saudis have as good a chance as anyone. The only obstacle would be trying to convince 
Kylian Mbappe to go there. But as I say, if he's got this agreement in place and he knows he's going to be at Real Madrid next season and he knows that if he stays at PSG, he probably doesn't play and probably isn't a part of the plan, he's going to be sitting there wasting his time ahead of the Euros anyway, then maybe he does take that move. Uh, maybe he does take that move and go there for a year. I don't know, but if he does, I'll tell you what, the Saudi league will be coming, won't it, properly then. Um, but yeah, I just think this is a wild story and I'm really interested to see how this develops. Um, so I wanted to touch on it, but the game's gone mental. 300 million euros for, for a player that might even only be there for a summer. Uh, sorry, for a season. Mental stuff. A uh, big shout out to Steve as well, who says uh, Trevor Francis, England's first £1 million uh, transfer, if memory serves, passed away today. Rest in peace. Yes, indeed. I, I saw that uh, just as we came uh, live on the stream. Really, really sad news. Um, can't remember if I... I think I might have spoken to, to Trevor Francis on something that I was doing um, a good few years ago now. And um, seemed like a wonderful man. Seemed like a wonderful man. Uh, really, really did. So, um, yeah, all the best um, to his family and stuff. I know it's a difficult time, but sending our best uh, because it's always difficult to lose someone. I mean, the, the whole sort of English football family is in mourning uh, for Trevor Francis. Everyone talks about what a great guy he was. So, you know, if if you get that sort of kind of feeling from a wider group of people, imagine how much his family loved him and imagine how difficult this must be for them. So a big shout out to them and wishing them all the best, of course. Right. Uh, let's take some of your questions then from the live chat. Look, I know it's a slow news day and all the rest of it, but let's let's take the opportunity then to tackle some of your questions and get some of your thoughts from the live chat. So just to summarise, Kieran Tierney, uh, not close to leaving Arsenal, according to him, happy to continue fighting for his place in the side, said all the right things, did Chiarantini, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he will still be here come the end of the transfer window. Like, you've you got to take these interviews with a pinch of salt, I guess. But some interesting comments about him learning uh, the role that Alexander Zinchenko has been playing. Get off of Kai Havertz's back is the simple way of uh, summarising that section of the show. Kylian Mbappe, the subject of a 300 million euro bid. Absolute madness. Is there any chance that Kylian Mbappe is someone Arsenal move for. I had this conversation on the 90 Min show earlier today. I think he's the best player in the world right now. Problem is, is what it does to the dynamic and what it does to the dressing room because, you know, he's, he is that big and he has that much of a superstar. Um, and he knows it as well. Plus the money. When you add it all in, it just feels really unrealistic for a club like Arsenal who have chosen to take clearly a very, very um, different direction. Okay, um, come on then, get your questions in, get your thoughts in. We're going to take a really, really short pause. And when I get back, uh, then we'll, uh, we'll tackle some of those questions for the last 10 minutes or so. Oh, hello, 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 hello. Let's uh, do this then. Let's go over to the chat box. Um, Tom says, uh, PSG have apparently officially accepted our Hilal's offer. But then again, why wouldn't they? It's all about Mbappe's choice either way, as he has full control over his future. Yeah, we mentioned that a little bit earlier on. As you say, why wouldn't they accept that offer? They're not going to get that offer from anybody else. 
Uh, madness, isn't it? Madness. Um, before we continue through the questions, actually, let me just quickly remind you guys uh, about something very exciting happening on Sunday, the 13th of August at the Mild May Club in Newington Green, uh, North London, N16, that is. Uh, the Guna Talk, uh, hosted by the brilliant Tom Canton, I'm sure. Lots of you watch his shows at 8 a.m. in the morning, or if you're like me, you watch them later on in the day because 8 a.m. is no time to be on YouTube, uh, especially not when you're the one talking. So hats off to Tom, as always, uh, for his commitment there. Uh, but he's doing a live podcast, live show, um, which is going to be great, I'm sure. Um, and on the panel uh, are FK from the Latte Firm, Mike Feinberg from the Gooners Pod, uh, Bailey Keogh is going to be on the uh, panel as well from Your Boys, and yours truly, uh, I'll be uh, on the panel as well. Uh, so I'm really, really looking forward to that. If you want to get tickets for it, they are selling fast. So uh, visit the link in the description of this episode and you'll be able to uh, to buy your tickets. They're at £22 each. Doors open at 5pm. Uh, show starts at 6pm. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Um... We're going to be chatting football, I think, for... I'm not sure exactly what the duration of the show is. I'll have to ask Tom about that. Uh, but, yeah, sounds uh, sounds good to me. Uh, so, yeah, cool. Anyway, right, let's uh, let's move on back to the chat box. What have we got here? Okay, let's take this one from Trini Guna. If Jesus is to fill out or, or fill in on the right wing for Saka, do you think a front three of Trossard, Jesus and Havertz is good enough uh, as a potentially secondary unit? Well, they're all quality players, aren't they? And this is the thing, right? It's about options. And I think as Mikel Arteta experiments and rotates, he'll work out which combinations work and which combinations maybe don't work. And again, I make this point over and over again about the midfield. It isn't always about picking your best three or that came out wrong. It isn't always about picking the most talented three on an individual level. It's often about finding the right balance. And if you can do that, if you can find that right combination, then that can be as powerful, if not more powerful than playing the three best individuals. And I think that's the same of a forward line. I think Martinelli and Jesus, for example, work so bloody well together, like brilliantly. I think Trossard's great as well. And I think he offers a lot, but does he have that same almost telepathic connection with Gabriel Jesus. I don't think he does. Then you look at the combination on the other side between Odegaard and Saka, which I think, again, is a really, really strong connection and strong link. Great, brilliant stuff. Um, the point I'm trying to make here is that there are loads of links and loads of, um, you know, loads of things that you have to factor in other than just sort of dropping three names on a team sheet and thinking that it's going to work. I think certain players complement one another and I think over time, now that we're expected to see more rotation, we're going to figure out, Mikel Arteta is going to figure out, hopefully before we do, what combinations work and which ones don't. And that will allow us to then hopefully rotate more effectively, therefore limit the drop-off in level when we do have to make changes going into games. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, when you look at the players on paper, and even like Emil Smith-Rowe, everybody's talking about Emil Smith-Rowe, he's definitely going to be an eight next season. Why can't he play from the left where he's played uh, so brilliantly previously and in the past? Why can't he be that? Why can't Trossard play from the right from time to time? I know it's not his best position, but it's not a bad option by any means. You know, there's there are options in this Arsenal team and in this Arsenal squad now, which 
make it really, really exciting, but at the same time, quite confusing and quite difficult. Here's another random comparison, right? This is not me talking about playing football again, but I remember when I was younger and I used to play football manager loads. Did anyone used to play football manager? I'm sure loads of you did. I used to play it loads and loads and loads, like to the point where like when my my now wife was my girlfriend, she would sometimes like invite me around, right? And she would be like, oh, why, why don't you come over? And um, like we can chill out or, or we can watch a film or whatever. And I'd, I'd be like, I've got some really important matches to play on Football Manager, which I kind of really wanted to get through tonight. That's the level of, levels of obsession that I had with that game at certain points. I'm sure we've all been there, right? We've all been there. Imagine that. Beautiful ladies texting you to, to come around and meet up and, and you're worrying about when you're going to play your next game on Football Manager. Like, that's, that's the level of, of madness, right? But what always used to happen to me was I used to build a good team. I used to build a nice team, a team that I was really happy with. And the first couple of seasons were great. And then when I used to start getting to the third and fourth season and I started building out my options and all of a sudden I had this amazing squad, I used to start to overthink about who should play. And in the end, I lost all the rhythm and on the, all the continuity. It was like first two, three seasons, I was brilliant every single time. And then once I got further on and I had to make more decisions and the squad got to being bigger and more like what I kind of dreamed of it being, I would struggle to make decisions and and that would be a big, big problem. And I feel like real football is like that as well, whereas like you can overthink stuff. And although you want to have depth and quality, um, you can get lost in that as well. And I think that's the real sweet spot, you know, to find um, if you can, which is somewhere between that, where you've got a strong enough and deep enough squad, but also you're not confused by the size of your squad and you're not sort of pulled in all different directions because you've got so many good options to the point where you lose clarity around what it is that you want to do. So yeah, again, another random comparison, but I think a lot of you can relate to that. Uh, <laughs> PS Midi says he took Luton to the Premier League. Well, they're in it for real now. Uh, Russ says that you need to get your priorities straight, Harry. You're right. They're, they're straighter now, uh, but yeah, um, I, I don't disagree. Uh, Steve says, Harry on a date, more interested in football manager. Mate, I used to sit at school and write my football manager team out inside my exercise books. Mad. Um, Danny took uh, God Manchester Rovers to the Prem in 10, 12 seasons from tier 10. Amazing. Amazing stuff. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Um, any more questions? Um, I'll give you another minute or so. If you've got anything that you want to drop into the live chat, do that while I quickly remind you to like the stream if you haven't done so already subscribe to the channel if you are brand spanking new as well uh, we're just shy of 100 likes so if we could rectify that that would be really really good um there was a question that i starred earlier on hold on where is it here it is uh, from Earfan chowdhury um do you think people are being harsh on Havertz? I guess you'll take from my comments earlier that I do. Um, he says he's been at Arsenal for 12 days um, and has been coached by two idiots. I wouldn't go as far as saying that. Well, while Chelsea were struggling with toxicity, two thirds of our midfield has changed. Yeah, I mean, 
I do think that people are judging him too quickly. I do think that people are being too harsh. I do think that people are wanting to jump on it. Not, maybe not wanting, but almost being encouraged to jump on him or, or sort of so even if subconsciously because of his history, because it didn't really work at his previous club and because that club was Chelsea and because in the past we've been burnt by bringing players in from Chelsea who weren't necessarily still good enough to help us. Um, but you just got to see how it goes. You know, you just got to see how it goes. You just got to give it time to breathe and, and give him time to adapt. And that's another reason why I don't want him in our midfield starting the season, because I actually want that pressure to be taken off of him until he finds his feet and understands the role and, and works out exactly how to play. If that is what the long-term future holds for him. I think if you put him in there straight away and it doesn't really work, you're just piling pressure on a player that is already under a lot of pressure because of A, the price tag, B, where he's coming from, and C, how he performed over the last couple of seasons. Russ Morgan says, Harry, how do you think Ben White will be deployed in the coming season? This is a really interesting one for me. And the truth is, I don't know. I did wonder when we signed Yuri and Timber if that meant that Ben White was going to be pushed back inside uh, into his more natural position. And I think having Timber increases Mikel Arteta's ability to be able to use Ben White or comfortably push him inside in the event that Saliba picks up an injury, for example. And we didn't have that last season at the back end when Tommy Asu was out. There was a reluctance to do it because we lacked a good right-back option. And then we went with Holding and it didn't really work. And then we put Kivior in and that was kind of okay, but it still wasn't the same and all the rest of it. But I think the idea will still be for Ben White to play a lot at right-back. Um, but also, I think being a central defensive option is is important because ultimately that's what he was signed to do. And um and and I still believe that that is his best position. Uh what else have we got? Um Gaz uh NY says, Hi Harry, catching you live for the first time in a while. Hope you're good, mate. Uh he says, Do you think if Partey was to leave, Ben White could be an option in midfield? I mean he could be, and I think Yuri and Timber could be as well. And it takes us back to that point again, doesn't it? of uh, sort of versatility being right at the top of the want list. Um, so, yeah, we'll have to um, we'll have to see. But th there's certainly players that are equipped to play in that role. No doubt about that in my mind. Right, guys, I am going to leave it there. Um, going to uh, head back into the house, have a bit of dinner, see the kids for a bit before they go to bed. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow with some more Arsenal-related content. Hopefully it's a bit of a better news day. And we'll have some more juicy stuff to dive into. But thank you for bearing with me anyway. Uh, it is very, very much appreciated. Thank you for all your interaction as well, which helped me get through the show. Wouldn't have been able to do it without you. So a uh, big shout out to every single one of you. I uh, hope you all have a great evening, great day, depending on when or where you're listening to this from. I'll see you all tomorrow. Until then, goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.